start reading in verse number 21. Mark chapter 1. speak to you today on the authority of the Savior. Mark one twenty one. as always, if you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, there's one in the seat in front of you somewhere there, and uh, you're welcome to use that. Mark 1, verse number 21, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Well, let us ask God's blessing on his word. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Father, this is the word of God. And as we spoke in Sunday school and learned in Sunday school, every word of it is true. We do not pick and choose. We do not decide which parts of it we're going to believe and which we're not. Father, we accept it all. And as we think about this account of what took place in the life of our Savior, we know it happened exactly as the Word of God recounts it. And so help us today as we study it and think about it and and work through these teachings and speak to us. And Lord, if there are those who need to respond today, Help them to do so. Let nothing stand in the way. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been for a few weeks now. I think we took a break uh, the last couple of weeks, perhaps. But we've been kind of looking at the Gospel of Mark and working our way through it. And we've seen Mark's Gospel so far unfold in in a variety of steps. First of all, we saw that Jesus was identified by John. That's how it started. Then Jesus was approved by God and equipped by the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus was tested by the enemy, Satan, in his temptation and declared his intentions to defeat him. And then Jesus began choosing his men. And that's where we left off. And now in this passage, Mark describes the incredible, and if I could think of a bigger word, I'd use it, the incredible authority that Jesus Christ now assumes and begins to proclaim about himself. Many today, and in all ages actually, would claim that Jesus was a great teacher. You hear that from just about any religion. Anybody would probably say Jesus was a great teacher. The Mormons would say that. The Jehovah's Witnesses would say that. Various cults and false religions would say that. Buddhism would say that. Even Islam, which is so much in the news, believes that Jesus Christ was a great teacher, a great prophet. I read just this past week that the largest religious affiliation in America now, today, is uh, no religion at all. That's what more people are listing now than anything else, and that's very sad. It's very sad, but you know what? Even those people would admit Jesus was a great teacher. However, the point I want us to see this morning is that Jesus did not claim to be a great teacher. Jesus claimed to be much more than a great teacher. Jesus claimed personal authority for himself. He claimed to be God. And in our scripture today, we see that in at least three different ways. We see it in his teachings, 
We see it in the response of the demons to him, and we see it in the demonstration then that he, uh, uh, that he, he, he gave as he cast out those demons. So his teaching, the demons' proclamations, and his own demonstrations all showed us the authority of the Savior. Let's look at those in order. First of all, look at verse number 21, and we see there that Jesus taught with authority. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I'm always fascinated by the patterns that we see in Scripture. And here's another one. We see this pattern in the behavior of the apostles. We see it here in the pattern of our Savior. We see it basically in the pattern of most believers in the New Testament, there are some who we don't see it in. But this pattern is, is clearly throughout the New Testament, and that is that uh, they went to church. They went to church. Here we see uh, uh, that that's one of the first things that Jesus did. And I realize it wasn't the church. I realize it was the synagogue, and I realize it wasn't the Lord's Day. It was the Sabbath. But nonetheless, the pattern is there, do you not think? Since it was the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue. And it was not just a one-time thing with Jesus. This, is, this was literally his pattern. This was something he did every opportunity that arose. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. It was his custom. It was his habit. It was something he did regularly and consistently. Now, the synagogue was the Jewish counterpart of, uh, of what today are our local churches. And I think in Jesus' faithfulness to that public gathering and that public worship, we do have an example that we ought to follow. And, of course, I'm preaching to the choir. Last I noticed, you guys are all here. But nonetheless, it's something to remind ourselves of. Think about the similarities between the synagogue and the church. The synagogue was a place where regular, uh, at least weekly meetings were held every Sabbath day and perhaps even more. It was a place of prayer. It was a place of Scripture reading. It was a place of teaching. It was not primarily a place of worship. That was the temple. In their economy, they had that split out between the two, synagogue for teaching, temple for worship. But nonetheless, the example is there. Jesus was faithful to the synagogue, and he taught faithfulness to it. You know, he even taught faithfulness to the synagogue when its leaders were less than exemplary. He never said, you know, the leaders are bums, therefore you ought to just stay home. He didn't do that. As a matter of fact, he said the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not according to their works, for they say and do not. He said, even if they're not what they ought to be, observe and do. In our day, many will stay away from church because of, I don't know, some disappointment with people. Somebody hurt your feelings. The preacher said something stupid. That happens a lot. If that's one of the things that uh, is going to run you away, then you might as well leave now. Because the preacher's going to say something stupid from time to time. But nonetheless, Jesus said here, and, and demonstrated here, that he was faithful. He taught faithfulness to the synagogue regardless of the failings of those who were part of it. But I want you to notice today, and that was just an aside, I want you to notice today uh, the main point here is that he not only attended the synagogue, but while he was in the synagogue, he stood up and he spoke. He stood up and he spoke and he taught. And his teaching was not what people were used to hearing. Jesus spoke with personal authority. And that impressed people. It's not what they were used to hearing at all. They never heard that. Matter of fact, the Bible here says that they were amazed, and we'll come back to that word in just a minute. They were amazed at this. They were accustomed to hearing the opinions and the interpretations of the scribes, and the scribes' ministry, for the most part, consisted of telling others what had been said. For example, their proclamations would usually begin with, it has been taught, or there is a teaching. 
That's what they were used to hearing, but that's that's not how Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke with authority. He claimed for himself authority. Many times we can see Jesus doing this very same thing uh, in his teaching. In uh, John chapter 3, in verse number 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unheard of. They'd never heard of such a thing. John chapter 5 and verse 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. John 6.53, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. John 14.12, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And we go on and on and on. That's the way Jesus spoke. And they were amazed. So we see Jesus here standing up in the synagogue and teaching. And when he taught, it was different than anything else they had ever heard before. He was not just quoting and interpreting teachings that had come before. He was standing and claiming personal authority and saying, here is what I have to say to you. So Jesus taught with authority. The second thing I want us to see is that the demons recognized his authority. Look at verse number 23. There was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So here we are in the synagogue. We're in the middle of a service. Jesus is teaching, and there is a demon-possessed man there. Has that ever happened in our churches? Sometimes we might think it happens. A demon-possessed man in the middle of the synagogue. Now, our, our New King James Bible says he was a man of an unclean spirit, and that's just another way of saying he was a demon-possessed. It's just another way of describing this phenomenon of demon possession. And so, some questions come to mind, don't they? Well, in the world's a demon. That's one of those words we toss out there all the time, and do we know what it is? What is an unclean spirit? Are they real? What is meant by demon possession in the Bible? Is it a real phenomenon, or was it simply the product of superstitious minds. Well, demons are real. They're certainly real. And just as we learned this morning in in, in Sunday school class, uh, the Bible speaks of demons. And if the Bible speaks of it, it's true. Uh, We don't pick and choose what we believe from the Bible. So the Word of God is all true. And so the Bible says there's demons, there's demons. Here's how Easton's Bible Dictionary defines demons. He says that demons are spoken of as spiritual beings at enmity with God, and as having a certain power over man. They recognize our Lord as the Son of God. We see that here. They belong to the number of those angels that kept not their first estate. They are unclean spirits, fallen angels, the angels of the devil. They are the principalities and powers against which we must wrestle in Ephesians chapter 6. William Barclay goes on to say that the collective word for demons is mazikin, which means one who does harm. So the demons were malignant beings, intermediate between God and man, who were out to work men harm. And Charles Ryrie, in discussing discussing the matter of demon possession, says, demon possession means a demon residing in a person, just as the Holy Spirit resides within us. Demon possession is a demon residing in a person, exerting direct control and influence over that person with certain derangement of mind and or body. That's a big topic. Matter of fact, it's a whole category of theology, demonology, and so we're certainly not going to be able to discuss it all here today. And matter of fact, I'm going to leave it right there and let you all be all confused. 
Because there's one main point that I want us to see here. The perp- for the purposes of understanding our text, we simply need to note that demon co- the demon possession was common, it was real, and it was something uh, that they, they greatly feared in that day. I will say one more thing about it, just so that we're all clear on this. A Christian cannot be possessed. That is not something that is possible. Uh, if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, there is no room for anything else in there. And so you don't need to worry about that. A non-Christian can, but a Christian, according to Scripture, cannot. So here in the middle of the synagogue is this demon-possessed man. And the thing that's interesting to me is that these demons knew exactly who Jesus was. Did you see that? They didn't question his authority over them. The people were absolutely astonished and amazed, but not the demons. They weren't even surprised. And they made a very revealing confession. In verse number 24, the first part, they said, What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? According to my trusty linguistic key to the Greek New Testament, that means that uh, what have we and you in common? What have we and you in common? What do we have in common with you, Jesus of Nazareth? And then they go on and they say, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's amazing to me. It ought to be amazing to all of us. These demons knew and confessed two things. First, they knew that they had absolutely nothing in common with him. And secondly, they knew that he, he was more than a man. He was actually the very Holy One of God. And if you read your New Testament, you'll find out this is not the only time that demons made such a confession or that demons testified to the personal authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it quite a few times. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 34, if you just jump down a few verses in this chapter, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Mark chapter 3 and verse 11, the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. Luke chapter 4 and verse 41, demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. He knew exactly who he was. A few other things about the demons are interesting. Uh, For example, the demons asked to be left alone in verse number 34. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. What an interesting request. It's certainly a response that's seen often in those who have nothing in common with Christ, whether demons or people. Leave us alone. Those who are lost in sin often want to be left alone. They don't want to be confronted with their state. Don't talk to me about Jesus, preacher. Don't talk to me about my sin. I don't want to talk about hell. I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. Leave me alone. But Jesus never left wickedness alone, did he? He never left evil or sin alone. He always confronted it just as he did here. Leave us alone. Another thing I think we see here about the demons is that they were powerless to object to his commands. Flip over with me to Mark chapter 5 and we'll see another example of this. When we get to Mark chapter 5, we'll unpack this a little bit more fully. For now, let's just read a few verses here. This is another example. These demons were powerless to object to his commands. Mark chapter 5, verse number 1, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. 
When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? There it is again. i got nothing in common with you. I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And he, the demon, answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all of the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. And then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Again, there's all kinds of things that we can talk about there, and we will talk about that when we get to chapter 5. But for, what, for now, I just want you to see that it's another example. When Jesus spoke, demons had no alternative but to immediately listen. They were powerless to object to his commands. And then there's one other thing about the demons I'll mention here, and that is that they were flat terrified of him. Did you come to destroy us, was their question. You see, unlike many Christians, I think the demons actually know the Bible. I think the demons actually perhaps have read it. And they certainly know the parts that pertain to them, uh, at least about their future, and their future is bleak. Jesus had described their future state when he spoke of the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25. He will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. They knew that was their future. And so they not only were powerless to object to his commands, but they were also terrified of him. And so here, here's these demons. These demons knew who Jesus was. They recognized they had nothing in common with him. They asked to be left alone. They were terrified of him, and yet they were powerless to object to even a single word he said. Clearly, these demons recognized and testified to the authority of the Savior. Well, another thing, look at verse 25, and I want you to notice Jesus not only taught With authority, he demonstrated his authority. Verse number 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Jesus demonstrated his authority, and one way he demonstrated his authority was by silencing those demons. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. This is one of those times when I think the Holy Spirit introduced just a little bit of humor into the New Testament account. Because, I, I, you know, I like to try to visualize what this scene must have looked like. Put your mind there in the synagogue. Think about this for a minute. We've, some of you have been to Israel with me, and you've, you've sat in some of these ancient synagogues, and so you can imagine what it looked like as people are sitting around. Normally stayed synagogue service is going on. But then Jesus stands up and starts to speak in this way that no one has ever heard speak before. And this, this, this murmuring begins to go through the crowd. Last Lord's Day, we had an illustration of this when a particular missionary stood up and said something that upset some people, and this murmuring went throughout the entire crowd. And that is exactly what I think probably happened here, as they were all questioning among themselves. So the normal service was already disrupted, and then in the middle of all that confusion, this man jumps up and starts to shout at Jesus Christ. Shout at the speaker. I, I just got to believe it was a somewhat chaotic scene. And how did Jesus respond to all this? In the midst of all this chaos, what did Jesus do? He basically said, shut up! Which I think is just absolutely hilarious. Be quiet. You see, Jesus didn't need the testimony of demons. Jesus didn't want the testimony of liars. His work would not be advanced by evil. And so he commanded and demanded and received their silence. 
and thus demonstrated his authority. He demonstrated it by silencing them. Be quiet. He also demonstrated it by casting them out of the men. Come out of him. Now, how did Jesus cast out these demons? You, you, you might think that would be an amazing sight. Uh, and, and you and I would probably all agree in a, that we could imagine all sorts of things about how that scene would have unfolded. I mean, we've seen movies. We've read books. We've seen all kinds of depictions of exorcisms in, in, in literature and in film. And, and so we might well expect things like incantations to take place. We might well expect things like uh, prolonged prayers and incense and uh, all that sort of thing. Maybe crosses or similar props that would have been used. We might have expected it to be a protracted contest between the one who was casting out the demon and the demon himself, that there was actually some sort of a fight there. We might have seen, because we've seen this demonstrated in movies and things, that you know there was a possibility that the exorcist could be in trouble here. We might have seen that. We might have imagined that. We might have thought he was in, in, in risk even. That old movie, The Exorcist, comes to mind as you think about those kinds of things. And none of that was unknown to the people in the synagogue that day because there were exorcists then, and they did those things. They used incantations and ceremonies and rituals and all that sort of thing. So what about in this instance? What did Jesus do? How did he cast out these demons? Was there some sort of an elaborate ritual? Well, let's read it again. Verse number 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. I don't see any elaborate ritual there, do you? I don't see any incantation. Incantation. I don't see any incense, props, no struggle. It wasn't a contest at all. Jesus simply spoke a word, get out. And he got out. He did it with a word. And actually in our English Bible, seven words, be quiet and come out of him. See, that's what amazed people. That was astonishing. Jesus not only spoke and claimed the authority of God, he not only had demons witnessing and testifying to that authority, but he demonstrated it. And he demonstrated it simply by speaking. He spoke and something happened. He spoke and the demons were gone. Just like one, before, one time before, uh, sometime in the past before that, he had spoke and said, let there be light. And the universe was brilliant with light. Just like one day very, very soon now, he's going to stand up on the edges of heaven and he's going to say, come on up here. And the church is going to rise in the rapture. So Jesus demonstrated his authority with a word. Another thing I'll have you look at is verse 27. I want you to notice that Jesus' authority astonished people, astonished them. And we've kind of danced around this one, but let's just make a couple comments about it. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. They were amazed. Just as they were astonished with his teaching and his claiming of authority in verse number 22, they were now, they were now amazed by his demonstration of that authority. Now, in verse 22, there's a word that is used there to express their astonishment. It is the word ekpleso, which is a combination of the Greek words ek, which we talk about that from time to time. It means out of and pleso, which means to strike or to strike out. So the word means to be exceedingly struck in mind, to be astonished. And here in verse number 27, there's a different word that is used, ethambethesan or something like that, 
It's from the it's from a root that's that a root is thambos, which means amazement and wonder, and it conveys the idea of rendering immovable. It is frequently associated with terror as well as astonishment. It's the same word that was used to describe Paul's response or Saul of Tarsus's response on the Damascus Road when he came face to face with Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 6 it says, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Trembling and astonished, same word. So we might say that these people listened to Christ's authority and word, watched his authority demonstrated, and they were thunderstruck. I think that might be a very good paraphrase of all of that. Because that's the mindset that, the, that, that Mark is trying to convey to us here. They were astonished. They were amazed. They were frightened. They were afraid. They were thunderstruck by what they were hearing and seeing. They had never seen boldness like this before. As this Jesus dared to claim personal authority, they had never seen power like this before. As Jesus proved his claims with actual demonstrations of authority. How could a man do this? That was their mindset. That was the thought on their minds. And that was the thought that spread across the countryside like windswept flames now. As we see in that last verse, immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So let, let's conclude this this morning with a moment of personal honesty, because this is something we need to talk about, I would think. I think there's a question that must be asked. It's the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room that's trumpeting to us as we consider these truths. Jesus spoke with authority. He claimed authority. He demonstrated authority. The people perceived authority. The demons confessed authority. So what about you? And what about me? Have you, have we recognized and responded to the authority the Savior has over our lives? Over your life? When we consider what Jesus both said and did here, as well as in many other places in the gospel accounts, we're really left with only two possibilities, aren't we? He was either nuts, he was either a lunatic, or he was who he said he was, the Son of God. There are no other alternatives. I don't think anybody's ever stated that fact better than C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Let me read this to you. C.S. Lewis said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so what about you? What about you? Have you recognized and responded to the authority of the Savior in your life? Jesus says that apart from him, you're lost in your sins. He said in John chapter 8 and verse 24, I say to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. Jesus says that he'll forgive your sins if you but turn your life over to him. 
to a sinful woman one day, he said, your sins are forgiven. One day, sometime in the near future, the Apostle Paul, after all these events had taken place, Paul would preach. He would preach to a great crowd in Antioch of Pisidia, and he would say, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, through Jesus Christ, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Jesus says that eternal life and health and happiness and security and wealth and joy can be yours, will be yours, if you Turn your life over to him if you become his. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. In another place, he said, I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Another place, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And Jesus says, that if you refuse him, you will spend all of eternity living with the consequences of that rejection in a place called hell. Matthew 25, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you curse it into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So, what about you? Have you recognized and responded to the authority of the Savior over your life. Because it is very real. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Well, let us pray. Father, we're thankful for this wonderful glimpse into just who this man Jesus was and is. Thank you for what we're learning from this gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the amazing truth contained in this passage. Jesus Christ taught with authority. The demons professed it, testified to his authority, were terrified of it. Jesus demonstrated it in amazing ways. There's no question that we're talking about your Son, the very Holy One of God. And there's no question, Father, that he has authority and claims over our lives. And Father, I pray today that if there's even one here who has not faced that, not come face to face like Saul of Tarsus did on the Damascus Road with this one who has complete and total authority over our lives, I pray if there's even one like that, that this would be the day. I pray the Holy Spirit would get a hold of their hearts. I pray the Holy Spirit would shake them up. I pray, Father, that they'd see Jesus for who he is. And they'd see how insane it is to say no to him. How hopeless is, is any future apart from him. And how glorious is any future with him. I pray, Lord, if there's even one who needs to be saved today, let today be the day. May they step out or may they bow their head, their head right before, uh, uh, before you as we sing, uh, right where they are. However they want to do that, I pray, Lord, they do it and trust Christ this day. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved this day. And Lord, for Christians, sometimes, Father, we forget with whom we have to do. Sometimes we forget that Jesus Christ, our King, has complete and total authority of our lives. Sometimes we begin to live in ways that are displeasing to Him. And I pray if there's anybody here today who needs to say, Lord Jesus, I had kind of forgotten who you are. Forgive me. Help me to get back to serving the one who has ultimate authority over my life.
Maybe there are some who need to rededicate. There are some who need to say, I'm sorry. Maybe there are some who need to say, forgive my sin. Whatever it is, I pray they would do it. And Lord, if there are other needs, we're going to be baptizing in just a couple of weeks. I pray if there are those who have not yet followed the Lord in believers' baptism and they want to present themselves for that, that they'd step out, let us know that's on their heart. Uh, if there are those here who are thinking about membership or any of these things that, we've, uh, that we always have as part of our invitation, uh, just work today. We give this last few moments to you and ask you to use it in Jesus' name. Amen.